the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. Let us pray. God of abundant life, by the gift of your Holy Spirit, tune our hearts and minds to the song of praise you are singing in your word. May our lives answer your word of life, the resurrection hope. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Our first reading comes from the second book of Kings, a book that we do not often hear from. Listen for God's word to you. A Shunammite woman conceived and gave birth to a son. This was what Elisha, the man of God, had promised her. The child grew up. One day he ran to his father who was with the harvest workers. He said to his father, oh my head, my head. The father said to a young man, carry him to his mother. So the young man picked up the boy and brought him to his mother. The boy sat on her lap until noon. Then he died. He went up and laid him down on the bed for the man of God. Then he went out and closed the door. She called her husband and said, send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys so that I can hurry to the man of God and come back. Her husband said, why are you going to him today? It's not a new moon or Sabbath. She said, don't worry about it. She saddled the donkey, then said to her young servant, drive the donkey hard. Don't let me slow down unless I tell you. So she went off and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. As soon as the man of God saw her from a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, it's the Shunammite woman. Run out to meet her and ask her, are things okay with you, your husband and your child? But she said, things are okay. When she got to the man of God at the mountain, she grabbed his feet. Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is distraught but the Lord has hidden the reason from me and hasn't told me why. She said, did I ask for a son, sir? Didn't I say, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready, take my staff and go. If you encounter anyone, don't stop to greet them. If anyone greets you, don't reply. Put my staff on the boy's face. But the boy's mother said, I swear by your life and by the Lord's life, I won't leave you. 
So Elisha got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead of them. He set the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So he went back to meet Elisha and told him the, the boy didn't wake up. Elisha came into the house and saw the boy lying dead on his bed. He went in and closed the door behind the two of them. Then he prayed to the Lord. He got up on the bed and lay down on top of the child, putting his mouth on the boy's mouth, his eyes on the boy's eyes, his hands on the boy's hands. And as he bent over him, the child's skin grew warm. Then Elisha got down and paced back and forth in the house. Once again, he got up on the bed and bent over the boy, at which point the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha called for Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. Gehazi called her and she came to Elisha. He told her, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, face down on the ground. Then she picked up her son and left. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the first letter of Peter. Listen, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's chosen strangers in the world of the diaspora, who live in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, whom God the Father chose because of what God knew beforehand, chosen through the Holy Spirit's work of making you holy, chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. On account of God's vast mercy, God has given us new hope. You have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have a pure and enduring inheritance that cannot perish, an inheritance that is presently kept safe in heaven for you. You are guarded by God's power through faithfulness so that you can receive the salvation God is ready to reveal in the last time. You now rejoice in hope, even if it's necessary for you to be distressed for a short time by various trials. This is necessary so that your faith may be found genuine. Your faith is more valuable than gold, which will be destroyed even though it is itself Tested by fire, your genuine faith will result in praise, glory, and honor for you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have never seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you trust him. And so rejoice with a glorious joy that is too much for words. You are receiving the goal of your faith, your salvation. The word of the Lord. Thank you. The headline read, Cultural Renegade, 
This woman has not made bread. A friend shared this tongue-in-cheek article the other day about a woman making waves by being one of the very few who has not made a single loaf of bread during her entire coronavirus quarantine. Not a sourdough starter, not even a plain loaf using active yeast. In her words, when everyone else was tending to their bread, talking about their bread, I just thought, what if I don't? The article is a work of satire, of course. It pokes fun at the bread baking trend on the rise, pun intended, during these days of maintaining physical distance. More broadly, the author is giving us permission to laugh at ourselves for failing to maximize this quarantine period for self-improvement. This laughter rises over the lying voice of shame. Maybe you've heard it whisper. If you don't come out of this quarantine with a new skill, a side hustle, a clean house, or a sourdough starter, you never lacked time. You just lacked discipline. Laughter unlatches the truth, which is that we are enduring a traumatic experience. Cortisol, the chemical that our body releases under stress, is addling our brains. It is impairing our executive functioning. A pandemic, it turns out, is not the time for self-improvement. It is a season to survive. Maybe you never took the bait and felt pressured to make self-progress. Good for you. Pray for the rest of us and for all of the folks who get hooked by the insidious idea that God is testing our faith in this time of trouble. The Apostle Peter didn't say that in his letter, not exactly. What he wrote to believers around the Mediterranean was that it's necessary for you to be distressed for a short time by various trials. This is necessary so that your faith may be found genuine. Necessary. I wonder about that word. Is it necessary? Not for God. Open your Bibles and flip back a couple pages from Peter's letter, and you'll hear the Apostle James rebuke that notion. No one who is tested should say, God is tempting me, James writes. God doesn't test anyone. Instead, everyone is tempted by their own hang-ups. So not necessary then, but perhaps inevitable. Peter knew that the social environments of those scattered disciples weren't all that different from the one that crucified Jesus. You see, each city had its own God that watched over the welfare of the people. Since happy gods make for happy people and prosperous cities, a good citizen offered sacrifices, incense, and prayers to this God. But Jesus wasn't a good citizen. 
and neither were these chosen outsiders who worshiped the God of Israel, whose Messiah had been shamefully executed. These chosen strangers did not offer sacrifice and prayer to their city's gods. And so the ministry of Jesus, whether in Galilee or Galatia, broke up families and roused the suspicions of the authorities. Peter knew that such troubles were not heaven sent. Our troubles today are not a test from God. And none of us, none of us can deny that the trouble is real, that suffering is stripping away the sunny claims of a faith that sounds a lot like the sun will come out tomorrow. I think of the immortal words of the dread pirate Roberts from The Princess Bride. This is the truth. Life is pain, Highness. Everyone who says differently is selling something. Anyone who tells you that you should come out of a pandemic skinnier or smarter knows that shame sells diet pills and subscriptions to masterclass. Anyone who reduces the Christian faith to don't stop believing is willing to pay for whatever it takes to keep them in God's good graces. But that's not what faith looked like for Peter. And that's not what faith looked like for the Shunammite woman. She knows what Jesus would later know, that troubles arrive uninvited. Perfectly healthy children get hurt. Beloved sons and daughters die in their mother's laps. All of this while battles ravage the countryside. If this woman could speak to the other characters in this fourth chapter of the second book of Kings, this chapter full of ordinary folks in a book about warring kingdoms, she wouldn't be surprised by the crushing debts of the prophet's widow or by the famine in Gilgal. No, she wouldn't be surprised. But pain does not make her pitiless. Pain doesn't freeze her in place. She, she doesn't screw up her optimism lest she fail a test from on high. Instead, she saddles up the donkey and tells the driver to go as fast as he can. Instead, she dismisses the banality of her husband and Alicia's servant and pours out her grief directly on the man of God. Did I ask for a son, sir? Didn't I say, don't raise my hopes? She is raging against Alicia, and she is raging against Alicia's God, and she expects God to do something. That's what her faith looks like. Grief, anger, crying out to heaven, your move. This is a far cry from trying to pass a test. She isn't keeping her head down, saying, well, maybe I'll learn something from this someday. No, her head is up. Her eyes are raw. 
she lifts her shattered hopes to the Holy One and demands that God sees her. I think the Shunammite woman's response would encourage Peter. Because far from everything coming down to us, Peter points us back to God, the one who chose outsiders, the one whose spirit is at work and whose son has brought people from all nations into the covenant fold. I love how Peter waxes rhapsodic about this God. On account of vast mercy, God has given us new birth. You have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have a pure and enduring inheritance that cannot perish, an inheritance that is presently kept safe in heaven for you. You are guarded by God's power through faithfulness so that you can receive the salvation God is ready to reveal in the last time. For Peter, God's mercy is the first fact of life and God's faithfulness that guards and saves us is the final word. Mercy first, faithfulness last. In between, that's where we are, along with Peter and Alicia and the Shunammite woman. Back in January, I heard Betsy DeVries reflect on Peter's phrase, a living hope. Is there any other kind of hope, she wondered. What would dead hope look like? Dead hope, DeVries said, is self-soothing comfort. She brought up teenage climate activist Greta Thunberg. When Thunberg told people assembled at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, I don't want your hope. She was rejecting this dead hope that doesn't take action. But living hope is like living things. Creation is not static, DeVries said. Neither is our faith. Neither is our hope. Living hope grows and changes. It saddles the donkey and falls at the feet of the man of God. It rages and it weeps. It goes to work even though it's not sure about the outcome. Living hope does strange things. So uh, waving a staff in the boy's face didn't work, huh? Okay, time for plan B. Let's try lying on top of him. Alicia's resurrection regimen is unorthodox at best. Uh, troubling the more you picture a grown man pressing his living body against a dead boy's corpse. But in strange times, living hope can lead to unheard of things. Living hope uncovers possibilities and it takes up creative courses of action. Florence Nightingale would have questioned Alicia's methods, but she would not have questioned his hope. 
or the Shunammite woman's hope. Nightingale, the founder of modern nursing, was known for extending compassionate care to soldiers in the tumultuous Crimean War back in the 1850s. People came to know her as the lady with the lamp due to her practice of rounding the wards at night carrying a lantern. But the soldiers had another name for her. She was the lady with the hammer. Elise Barrett, a, a nurse with the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, wrote this, neither side in the war wanted to share supplies. Both sides were set on the raw cost and gain of conflict. Florence had a hospital full of dying men and exhausted nurses, riddled with dysentery and cholera, funded with leftovers. So Florence Nightingale took up the hammer and beat down the military storeroom doors. According to some sources, this wasn't an isolated incident. If you withheld necessary supplies, Florence would come in with her hammer and clean you out. That is living hope in action, born of God's resurrection power. Remember, the resurrection wasn't normal, and it wasn't nice. It shook the earth. It reversed the course of nature. It loosed Jesus into the world, the ultimate outsider upsetting the way things are. It propelled the disciples forward to seek Jesus on life's pathways beyond the safe bounds of home and habit. Christ is alive. Through Christ, we are reborn into a hope that refuses to take death for an answer. This Easter season, this season spanning the day of resurrection to the day of Pentecost, we are going to spend time with Peter and this first letter that bears his name. We are going to spend time with these disciples in the diaspora, living in the harrowing breath between God's first word, mercy, and God's final word, faithfulness. But we are not alone in that breath. The Spirit is moving among us, blessing our attempts to act on living hope. And Jesus walks with us still, claiming us as his very own. Life is pain, or at least life is painful. Folks, I don't want to sell you anything. But my prayer for you is that God will surprise you with the free grace God is giving away. My prayer for all of us is that such grace calls us, stirs us to a wild and winsome hope that pushes us to show up. Yes, to show up with all we have, with fear, anger, grief, boredom, even gratitude, to show up to God as our full selves. This is an act of faith 
more precious than gold. God will not turn us away. In God's embrace, we will find a glorious joy, a joy that is too great for words. For such grace upon grace, let us offer all glory and gratitude to God, the one who chose us, who suffered and died for us, who is making us holy. Amen.